News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Christina Creer, here today with Ben Max, our favorite special guest. Um, Harry and Katie are in undisclosed locations. Hi, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Christina. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Happy to pinch it. Listen, I love it. I feel like, you know, if this were a sitcom and Harry, Katie, and I are like the, you know, the main characters, you're that like fun cousin that comes in. For like special episodes. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I that, love there's it. not a lot of pressure except they have to come in and be funny or. Yeah. Just be brilliant. That's all. Do so, or very controversial. I'll avoid that. It feels weird talking to you when it's not like one o'clock in the morning and we're waiting for, you know, election results to come in. I but, know. It's very disarming. So we've got a lot going on. It's a beautiful day in New York City. Spring is springing. The Knicks are in the playoffs. Like, it feels like a new day. I don't know what's going on. You know, the Mets are, who knows what the Mets are going to do. Yeah. But we are going to go to a game this season. I'm putting that out there for our listeners. Christina Greer and Ben Max are going to a Mets game, and we're going to have a blast and support our New York teams. Into it. Um, Okay, so there's three things that I want to get from you this episode. I want to talk to you about... Our dear friend, Mayor Eric Adams, and the city council, because you know I have thoughts on the budget, (laughs) and you know I have thoughts on the police officers getting a gaggle of money, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. money that they didn't even ask for, I don't even think. Um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Kathy Hochul and this new judge who could be the first African-American chief judge. We know she took an L you know, when she was trying to push through LaSalle and she did not get her Nancy Pelosi on. And I feel like she got outsmarted by Andrew Stewart Cousins. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Mm. And then the last is budget delays, because I feel like a lot of people don't fully understand, A, the budgeting process, and B, um, why it is that it seems as though Kathy Hochul can't get the budget in on time. And it seems like bail reform is this thing that's like hanging in the distance. So those are the three things. Okay. You're brilliant. I want to talk to you about all of it. Um, so let's start with our good friend, Mayor Eric Adams. So we know that the mayor and the city council members have had this kind of tension. You know, it seems like we've got this strong progressive wing that's come in. The mayor, you know, I have been livid about these budget cuts to the New York Public Library. I've said several times on the podcast, I just think that public libraries are such a great space for all New Yorkers, not just young people, which, you know, the computers, the air conditioning, there's sort of a place to be after school. So they're not, you know, up to mischief, shenanigans, mm-hmm. mayhem and no good. And then coupled with the possible budget cuts for the New York Public Library, serious, severe budget cuts. And my little, you know, $15 a month isn't going to fill that gap. (laughs) Um, It seems as though Pat Lynch and the PBA have gotten, I mean, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, (laughs) like you name all the holidays, they got it. Back pay. I mean, these people are making solid six figures. Walk me through this this budgeting tension between the mayor and city council. And am I I being histrionic or do I have the right to be a little alarmed and annoyed? Um, I think, I mean, I think you absolutely have the right to be alarmed and annoyed. I think on the front of things like cutting, you know, $15 million or even more, but just these relatively small numbers in a 100 plus billion dollar budget, cutting these relatively small amounts that go a long way from the city's public libraries. They're looking to cut funds that go to CUNY community colleges. Mm -hmm. 
some of these things really, you know, I think there's plenty of room for questioning um, some of the cuts that the mayor has already instituted in the budget modification that he pushed through at the end of last year for the current fiscal year, and then others that he's proposing for next fiscal year, which he sort of just doubled down on by asking for another um, round of savings proposals from from city agencies. Um, I think there's a lot of room to question the choices and the way he's going about trying to be very responsible about city budgeting. And there is a lot of, there is a lot of stuff, uh, not, not a technical term, but there's a lot of stuff for him to be worried about, concerned about. And some of that relates to these labor contracts that do have to be settled and do have to be budgeted. Um, we'll come back maybe to the PBA contract that you were talking about in a minute, but you know, my, my sort of sense all along with Mayor Adams's budgeting is that he's right about needing to take a very careful approach and account for some of these really big uncertainties, the ending of the use of the federal COVID aid, which has spanned mm-hmm. a number of fiscal Huge. years. There's a lot of there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of uh, you know, quote unquote fiscal cliffs where money is running out or there's questions. At the same time, the way that he's going about it leaves a lot of room for questioning. So that's sort of been my general sense of things is like he's right in the broadest uh, approach and sense, but the way he's doing it is really questionable. And then also under the way he's doing it, the way that he's approached city agency personnel, Mm -hmm. it's fine to eliminate thousands of budgeted vacancies because they have tens of thousands of them that are just unfilled and they're really struggling to fill. Okay, fine. Eliminate some of those from your budget numbers. That's like savings that you just create out of nowhere because you're not filling those positions anywhere. Fine. But they have been so slow to move faster on trying to fill the vacancies that are essential to city services. So it's like he's focused on, uh, in some ways, I think sometimes the the wrong things in the way he's approached the budgeting. It's like, you can reduce some of your 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 budget by removing these vacancies. You're not going to fill anyway. Remove a right. percentage of them, but get the other ones filled. And there seemed to be so little urgency around that. And he's you know unwillingness to sort of allow non-union employees more flexibility to work from home and some of these things. You know, it's just that's baffled me uh, a bit. And then the way they've approached the biggest uh, agencies and their budgets, like the Department of Education, like the NYPD, like the Department of Correction. Again, when you dig into the details, I think there's a lot of questions that then come back to saying, and you're cutting 15 more million dollars from the libraries. I think you can figure out a way to not do that. Because, I mean, I've always said, you know, when Eric Adams campaigned, you know, using that, that Desmond Tutu quote, you know, don't keep pulling people out of the river because they're drowning, go to the top, figure out why it is they're falling down, you know, down the waterfall and, you know, I'm mix. I'm butchering this this metaphor, but you know why they're falling in the river. Yeah, exactly. And so, to me, the public library is the life vest, right? It's the raft. It's it's everything. Now, here's the thing, though, Ben. I feel like we're having deja vu because it seems like when we used to talk about De Blasio, it was he had some interesting policies, but it was the way he was going about doing it. And then even you know we were we were a little younger when Bloomberg was mayor, but like, that was also the issue. Like Bloomberg had some good ideas, but it was the way he went about it. So is this like kind of the 21st century mayor who has these constraints? I mean, how much of Mayor Adams' budget does he actually fully control? You've mentioned, you know, the federal government is basically like, all of our money is across the ocean (laughs) fighting a gaggle of wars. So we don't have any money for you guys. Um, And I understand 
this tension. We've got a Democratic governor. We've got a Democratic president. And the mayor is still like, I've got this tin can. We need real cash. And so a lot of those faucets are being turned off. So I, I get that. But is it is it that Mayor Adams doesn't really have the money he needs to do what he needs to do? Did de Blasio leave him holding the bag with some of these contract negotiations? Or is it this moving around money and are we now seeing that Eric Adams, at the end of the day, is always going to protect cops more than anyone else? Boy, uh, I think it's a little bit of. I all asked you of the one above. billion questions. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Good that morning. Was, that was really well. No, I think that was really well put. And, and so, my, I think my response is sort of just all of the above. It's a little bit of everything. You know, there were ways in which de Blasio used federal one-time funding to pay for recurring programs that everybody at the time was like, "Wait a second." the next mayor is just going to be mm-hmm. having to figure this out. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the next mayor will figure this out. Right. And he was a little <laughs> bit very de Blasio. And very de Blasio. Yes, exactly what I was going to say. Um, and that, and we're seeing that play out with 3K, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest, most high profile examples. We're also seeing this issue, I think, with 3K. And some, some people, you know, may get up in arms about this. But we're seeing this issue where, like, there's a lot of agreement that universal 3K is a great service for the city to offer. Expand this very successful four-year-old pre-K down to one more year. It's, you know, it's basically preschool, childcare, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Which keeps a lot of New Yorkers in the city. Fantastic. All right. Make it universal. But the fact of the matter is, where are all the three-year-olds? They're not wrong. If they're saying we have all these slots that we're paying for or we're ready to pay for, but they're just not filled, it's like, they're right to say they might need to right-size the program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we saw some good reporting, I think, in the New York Times in the last couple of days where it's like, but at the same time, are you doing the outreach that the de Blasio administration did around right. uh, four-year-old pre-K for mm-hmm. the three-year-olds to get them enrolled? You had lots of people, you, you know, the pandemic has been so disruptive and problematic and people have lost caregivers and then other people have left the workforce. You got to make sure people know about these programs. You got to recruit them. You got to answer unanswered questions, all this stuff. And it seems like the Adams administration approach is much less of that and more just like, all right, first we got to sort of chop, 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 chop. Mm-hmm. And I think they're right about, uh, again, it goes back to this sort of general sense I have that they're like right on some of the broader principles, but it's the execution question. So, mm-hmm. so there's some of that. Um, I also think, though, I mean, we're just seeing over and over again how tough it is to govern this city oh who wants this job <laughs> it's like so what kind, hard. I mean, you know i think that like the psychological profile of anyone who wants to be an executive is bananas to me because the older i get the more i turn from alpha to beta to get ga- i'm basically a gamma <laughs> right now like you know yes everyone's like oh you're super ambitious i'm like really because being the leader of this city with nine million people with all of these different wants and needs. And again, no one's ever going to be happy with the execution. And I think Eric Adams understands that. And he, and he fully understands the racial component to, to his leadership. He's only the second. You know, we're not Philly. We're not D.C. We're not Baltimore. We're not mm-hmm. Atlanta, where we've had a long history of Black executives. There's something about this city where it's like, okay, I thought we were kind of one and done. And here we are, right? And so I think he's keenly aware of those pressures. He's still governing in, in covid But I do think that there's something about every executive has to have a certain level of ego, which, you know, I don't mind. Mm -hmm. 
But it is also this execution where it's like, you can have ego, but it has to also be accompanied with explanation. And to like, walk me through these decisions. And I think, you know, for me with the the police officers, I'm like, I don't understand this decision. I need you to hold my hand and walk Mm -hmm. me through Mm -hmm. steps A through Z. And so when we think about someone like Adams in these constraints, I mean, his budget is not that great. I mean, we know Bloomberg would just like dip into his own personal coffers and either buy silence or buy the policy that he wanted to have. Eric, Eric Adams doesn't have that luxury and I do want to ask a little bit more about like how much of this kind of de Blasio-esque, you know, like don't forget the last six years of de Blasio, he was literally basically like a Tesla driving itself. Like he was in the backseat asleep. And we were just, for whatever reason, as New Yorkers, fine with that. So I'm I'm really torn because, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, all right, Eric Adams, I get it. You got a lot on your plate with a lot of people who aren't putting up cash to help us. But then it's like, ugh. With the with the caveat that there is just an immense, immense amount of need in the city, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even as unemployment rates have come back down, even as um, you know, the city has chipped away at some of the poverty over the years, slowly, but but has. And then the pandemic, of course, threw everything in a everything. weird way because you had all these federal programs that lifted people out of poverty and now they're all being unraveled one by one. Um but with the with the very important caveat that there's an immense amount of need, there's also money. There's a lot of money. There's you know, a lot of, he, you a know lot the of city money. budget is well over is going to be a, you know at least a few billion over a hundred billion. It's going to be somewhere around one hundred five billion probably for next fiscal year. Okay, the state has its own two hundred thirty billion dollar budget. There is money that buoys both of those that comes in from the federal government, even if people think it should be more. And in some cases, like around affordable housing and NYCHA and different things, it obviously should be more. But there's there's a you know that one of the funny things about all these budget debates that are going on right now at the state and city levels is like we're not in a fiscal crisis. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. absolutely are not in a mm-hmm. fiscal crisis. And the, the way the mayor talks about it sometimes, I'm like. Yeah, there's some, again, there's, I said this before, there's risks, there's things to figure out, there's some out year budget gaps that are concerning, there's there's always big questions in New York City about something, right? Now it's like commercial real estate values mm-hmm. and, it, you know. But, <laughs> Take off your pajamas and get to work. There's always, yeah, I mean, there's always stuff. I love Eric but Adams. <laughs> there is so, there's so much money available and the, the, the one of the most interesting things about Eric Adams, I've really been trying to work out over this year, almost year and a half that he's been mayor is like, he said so many of the right things about running city government when he was running. And he's continued Mm -hmm. to say some of them. I just don't know that he's focused on executing them. Mm -hmm. I worry that he's so into the public persona of being mayor. Mm -hmm. You look at this guy's schedule and I'm like, is there an invitation to speak in front of a group that he said no to? Because he goes to so many, and, and again, it's wonderful to be an ambassador for the city and the correction from de Blasio, very important in a lot of ways. This, you know, that's the other thing. I see these schedules from Adams. I'm like, wow, de Blasio did so little publicly, right? That I mean, man was lazy. But <laughs> lazy. is Eric Adams now overcorrecting is one right, of the big questions right. because he's going to so many events to deliver remarks. And again, great to be an ambassador for the city, but like, you know, this idea that he's governing by conference call while he's in his car on the move, mm-hmm. it's like, 
are you really focused on the right things? I think yeah. is one of the biggest questions for his time because uh, in terms of city government management and getting the what New Yorkers deserve for the amount of money that's being spent, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I'm just not sure that he's following through to the fullest extent possible from the very smart things that he was saying on the campaign trail. Now, so you know, that's one big thought. Yeah. I'm always torn with that, Ben, because, you know, Harry and Katie and I have talked about this quite a bit. You know, we had basically six of the eight years of de Blasio, essentially, backseat of the Tesla sleep, right? Bloomberg, who had a very specific vision of who New Yorkers were, and he was in his bubble, right? Um, his class bubble and ergo race bubble. So part of me is like, I love the fact that you know, when Eric Adams campaigned, he was like, Upper West Side, y'all ain't gonna vote for me. Like, you five neighborhoods in Brooklyn where all the press lives, right? Y'all ain't vote for me. I'm not even going. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to your little subway stop because all you guys are gonna vote for Maya, Catherine, Sean, or whomever, right? So like, mm -hmm. and then he campaigns in these outer boroughs where people have, I mean, Rudy Giuliani didn't even campaign to these people. They never talk to these people. And these are New Yorkers, right? They pay taxes, they vote sometimes, and we saw that they they turned out. So part of me is like, oh, you're going to this like Bangladeshi, you know, small celebration where it's like, these are people who are like, no one in city government has ever come and recognized Absolutely. them. Yeah. No one has ever sort of given us a citation or celebrated us. So part of me is like, that's amazing. He also says, hey, I hire great people. I don't need to micromanage and like watch over you. De Blasio too. But you remember De Blasio hired great people and then micromanaged them and would like undo the work. It's like being- Well, a Adam, and Adams is doing that too. Yeah. I mean, Adams I mean, is definitely doing that too. So, and you know? so that's, that was my question for yeah. you. Like, is it, you know, are you- leaving it to good people, but then also coming and trying to correct the work. Because, yeah, no, you know, it's totally part of what, what I was saying. And I'm, and I'm so glad you sort of took it that further step because if you're going to be doing that, again, I'm totally with you. There's mm -hmm. something so great about the way he's an ambassador for New York City, but and 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 paying attention to groups all over the city that have been uh, ignored in a lot of ways. Um, or there's just the difference between having the mayor there versus, you know, no, no, Shade, no shade. like the commissioner of you know community affairs. Right. It's just a hey, big shout difference. out to Marco Catione, yeah, former we, commissioner. We, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Marco. Any any, you know, it's great to send a commissioner to various things, but having the mayor there it's is obviously the a big difference. Right. But that is the question: is the management piece. So if you're going to do more of that as the mayor, you got to also do more of the right. letting go and letting your agency and making sure you know making sure that the deputy mayors are making sure that the agencies are run really well. And so I think there's a lot of questions there about execution. But this again, it goes back to the personnel stuff in right. some instances as well. They're not getting food stamps out the door. Mm -hmm. They're not getting affordable housing deals. Mm -hmm. uh, closed. Mm -hmm. These are huge problems that if the mayor is not focused on that, it's a, right. it's it, a big It doesn't problem. matter that you've met half of New York when, and, and, when 2025 rolls around, folks are going to be like, you know, we vote on pocketbook issues. Have I gotten my food stamps? Is my housing secure? I don't care that you came to my event. That's, and that's I, exactly you know, I don't want to be a broken record on this. Maybe people heard me say this before, but like he we the, we all knew this during the 2021 race. Mm -hmm. And then we knew that Eric Adams was going to be mayor as of mid-July 2021. Yeah. So like the idea that there weren't plans in place for figuring out the city personnel crisis, 
at least first quarter of his first year, you know, you can only do so much in the transition period, but he had a big transition period and a big transition team. Right. I don't Unlike Boston, remember they had their election. It was like two weeks later, yeah. she's at the job. I was like, what? Okay. So, so, so on the get, budget. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So you give me a lot one quick, one quick other Please. thing. The state budget impacts the city budget too. Right. And Absolutely. that's one of the reasons the mayor issued this new round of and and it's important for everybody to realize when the mayor does a peg, a program to eliminate the gap, he asks city agencies, he says, okay, I want every city agency to identify X percent of the budget in proposed savings. That doesn't okay. mean that the administration is cutting that much from every agency. It means, mm -hmm. hey, show me some stuff we mm -hmm. could choose to cut. Mm -hmm. So that's an important clarification. And I'm thinking, you know, a little bit of this is posturing because in the letter about this latest round of proposed or possible uh, cuts to city agencies, one of the biggest risk factors that was cited is the state budget. And we're going to have that state budget hopefully sometime soon. They just did another extender in Albany to um, have more time to negotiate. But a state budget should be in by the end of this month, April. And um, and that will impact the city in some significant ways. You know, there are there are billions of dollars at stake right. for the city. And the, and I was pretty surprised how the governor's budget was not that friendly to the city. Um, but she what? she sees like, that the city's coffers are pretty flush. Yeah. So let's shift gears and we'll we'll sure. come back to Hochul and the judge and <laughs> and th that conversation. But let's go to Albany and talk about these budget delays because I wasn't surprised that Kathy Hochul is basically like whatever New York, um, New York City. You know, she's Buffalo. I think that because she barely got elected, like, let's be clear, give it three more weeks, Lee Zeldin would have been the governor, like, mm. real talk. So I think that she's, I, I'm putting it out there, I think she's going to be a one-term governor. That's just me. But I think that she's looking ahead to sort of say, I don't want to look like I'm catering to New York. And that is part of, you know, sort of her slow walking this situation. I do think that Eric Adams having Diane Savino on the squad actually says a lot about how he's thinking about his relationship in the tin cans in Albany because she was actually in Albany. And we mm -hmm. know Eric Adams was in Albany, but that was in political terms a million years yes. ago. Yes. So, you know, that Albany doesn't exist anymore. And so with Kathy Hoke on the budget, and we know that we've got, you know, bail reform looming, and that's a complicated issue for upstate downstate, even within the Democrats, there is zero consensus. Where are we now with kind of the budget delays and who do you think will sort of come out on top of this? You know, oh, boy. Yeah. The, the longer these things drag out, the only people who lose are the people who actually need these goods and services that you walked us through previously. Yeah, you know, I mean, a, a couple weeks budget delay, they're passing extenders, so the bills are getting paid, the state employees are getting paid. It's not great, but a couple weeks is not really yeah, a, that big okay. a deal. But it's not great in terms of, you know, indicating to New Yorkers that state government is being run well and people get a sense that it's just, you know, that the leadership's not great because they're reading about like Albany lawmakers having to rush back to pass an extender so state employees get paid and they're reading headlines over and over again, seeing things on TV and radio. It's like, you know, state budget late, state budget late, still no state budget. That's not, it's just not great. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're the leader of the state, um, you don't really want that. Uh, and that's going to reflect much more on Kathy Hochul as the chief executive than it is on the legislature, right? Even if, you know, right. even if there's blame to go around. Um, 
the fact that the governor for the second year in a row is holding up the state budget to change the bail law um, doesn't look great. There's been, in my estimation, not enough attention on the fact that she did this last year and then sort of acknowledge, at least implicitly, that she didn't realize the problem with what she was doing and needed to fix, you know, adjust it again. Mm -hmm. Um, that again is, is some real, uh, real questions about, you know, her approach, her team's approach to just this one issue that she, she touted on the campaign trail that she had made the budget a week late last year because she insisted on bail changes. Then she came back this year and said, well, there's a problem with the bail law that we didn't really realize. That's, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, not to even get into the specifics of, of what it all means for people in the criminal justice system. Um, but, right. but that leadership question, they're going to do something on bail. It seems clear they'll get to some agreement to remove this least restrictive means, um, standard for judges, at least related to certain offenses. My sense is that yet again, they're going to sort of try to really you know, take a scalpel to things and try to be very careful about which offenses and under which circumstances. Maybe that's smart. I'm not sure. It seems overly complicated the way they're trying to like really, you know, sort of jerry rig the way judges can consider certain things, but not others. And I don't know, we have judges, I think, for a reason, but um, but that seems like they're getting somewhere on that. And it could have, you know, it could have major consequences for for lots of people. Um Listen, that's that's holding things up in a very big way and mm -hmm. sucking way too much oxygen out of this huge list of things that they need to get to agreements on. A massive housing, you know, she put forward a massive housing plan. And we have a great story on this at Gotham Gazette uh, by Summer Kershid on sort of the high stakes of, of Hochul's housing plan that's being negotiated. That was supposed to sort of be her marquee thing. And it's taken a backseat here huge climate and energy proposals being debated. I mean, the list goes on. So um, they're going to get to some massive agreement that almost nobody's going to have time to review mm -hmm. before they pass it. It's mm -hmm. going to be Albany business as, as usual. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look great. Yeah. MTA funding, asylum seeker services funding, you know, these things are being debated in hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, you know, New York City's interests on the line. So a lot going on there for people to, you know, try to keep paying attention to. So if you had to give, put you on the spot, if you had to give Kathy Hochul a grade right now, as of, I don't even know what day it is, April 11th, 11th, uh, 2023, what grade would you give her? For her overall tenure as governor for, for mm -hmm. the start of this term? Um, I mean, you know, I, this is so complicated. There's so much that goes into it. I mean, she's, you know, I, I'm not crazy about giving grades to elected officials. I, you know, I would put her somewhere in the B range. Okay. And part of the reason is because she 100% has brought in a very different era of state government that's more mm -hmm. collaborative. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. just, you know, people sort of initially appreciated the absence of the Cuomo bullying uh, culture. Um, but we maybe have lost some of the value of that. There's some people who say, hey, bring it back, you know, force through your chief judge nominee and all this stuff. But, you know, from where I sit, even if she's done some strong arm moves like last year on bail and the Buffalo Bills Stadium, you know, some questionable yeah, stuff in terms question. of. I have preguntas. <laughs> so wait, OK. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I think that overall culture is very important. And I also think 
you know, in a lot of ways she's trying to do, you know, trying to do the right thing. There's lots of other questions as, you know, I, I'm not going to go on a whole, uh, <laughs> down the list analysis here, but you know, I think, listen, there's a lot of incomplete as part of this too, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're going to see a, hey, we're gonna see a, a new too. budget. We're going to see a new a great... budget in, in the next two weeks. As far as I'm concerned, if she doesn't get a lot of her ambitious housing plan done mm-hmm. here because she was too focused on bail and maybe other things, then there's going to be a lot of questions about that too. Okay. Well, we'll stay tuned. Okay. Before right. I let you out of here, last thing, the judge. So yeah. we know Kathy Hochul took an L um, when she tried to push through Hector LaSalle. Right now, it looks like Rowan Wilson is an associate judge that um, she's trying to push through as this chief judge. Do you think she'll get it? All indications are that Rowan Wilson will be the next chief judge of New York, will will lead the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals, uh, be the first black person uh, to head the state Court of Appeals. Very, very big deal. Um, He's progressive in a way that the state Senate Democrats wanted her to nominate someone more progressive the first Mm -hmm. time around and sent her lots of signals on that that she didn't Mm -hmm. listen to. Um, (laughs) So uh, all indications initially are that he's going to sail through the Senate confirmation process. Now, of course, that he's the nominee. Maybe there'll be some digging that happens. Maybe he'll have a really bad uh, confirmation hearing. Who knows? Anything could happen. But all indications early on are that this second go at it will be successful. Um, Better be, right? I mean, she kind of, she needs it to be. I mean, this is the key thing though, is you got to make sure somebody gets out of committee. I mean, I think, you know, with the LaSalle nomination or nomination, I think she just thought, well, it'll get out of committee and my Republican colleagues will help push it through. And, you know, you got to count the votes. that was just a very bad bet. I mean, listen, get your Nancy Pelosi on, count the votes before you make an announcement. You know, she, going back to your question about a grade, maybe I need to downgrade um, from, from the B range, but you know, she she has done a lot of similar things, I think, on like the LaSalle nomination, on her own election campaign, on even this housing plan that she, you know, has has offered and sort of tried to sell. I would say nowhere near the campaign for it that she's needed to run. Just a real, you know, some real failings on the politics of a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, she just, I think, again, for better or worse. She's not a huge, uh, you know, sort of political animal mm-hmm. in certain ways. She's a she's a she's a political animal in in other ways. But you know, just the idea of like lots of preemptive sort of organizing, relationship work, all the stuff mm-hmm. that she would have needed to do um, in her campaign to get LaSalle through, maybe uh, on the housing plan. Just you know, not not doing a lot of this stuff. So now, basically. She went with, you know, who a lot of the more progressive state senators would have liked her to choose in the first place. From Jump Street. Yeah. Oh, Ben Max, I'm going to say it. You're my favorite special guest star. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> made my day. That's it's that's what we fun. do here on FAQ. I really appreciate you coming. Coming over from Gotham Gazette. You know, I, I love a little crossover episode. I always call us the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Um, I, love, I love when you come in. Thank you so much for pinch hitting. Go Mets. It's my um, pleasure. Yeah, go Mets. Hey, the, and you, you know, the Nets are also in the playoffs, the Knicks and the Nets. I know, you know we what? still think of them as the New Jersey Nets sometimes. I do. But, and, you know. you know, I have a white hot disdain for uh, Jay-Z and the Barclays 
okay. arena. Every time okay. I go there, I'm just, I get like a nosebleed. I'm so mm. angry at sort of gentrification and eminent domain and what happened mm. to those communities and how they okay. use his 0.01% ownership to like sell it to black Brooklynites. So yes, okay. that's my rant. The Nets. Um, but Forget I do, the Nets. listen, I do go to Nets games. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I, I don't like though? When I go to Knicks games, I think that the, the let out, and the, the sort of the scanning of the tickets to come in is so much more organized than the Nets. I don't know what they're doing mm. at Barclays, but I find the the process of getting in and out of the arena at Barclays incredibly frustrating. It's just, it's a lack of organization. It's like a Starbucks, but for sports. It doesn't make any sense. And, I'm, you know, if I had my druthers, I would completely redesign how we get in. I mean, the last time I went, um, it took us about 25 minutes just to get in. Yeah. So, you know, I'm walking in like halfway through the first quarter and I'm like, really? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I haven't been to a Knicks game in a while, so I can't compare, but I've been to a couple of Nets games this season and it's definitely frustrating. You know, that, well, we that... should talk because I'm thinking about getting a quarter uh, membership. Okay, I want to start it. You know, like it's sort of like people do food shares. Yeah. It's like, I don't oh, know I've if I want to go to like 22 games. I don't even know if I want to go to 11 games. So it's <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I've done but they gotta back, get, back they've got to the get that intro exit situated um the sneaky before. move i shouldn't say this on air but you know is to no matter what your tickets say to use the dean street entrance that little side entrance yeah can often be a little quicker than the big main oh. entrance well with so all of our millions tip. of followers on there's FAQ, a little tip for the now the now we've, goers. <laughs> hey, now playoff, we've done playoffs it. you got to get to your seats you know before tip off well, I mean, literally, I came in like the end of first quarter of the last game. Yeah. Well, I usually take my six-year-old, so we try to get there early, you know, oh, and it's walk like, around The game's at little, seven. So. Let's get there at 530. Yes. <laughs> but but we're excited about the Mets, too, so let's not, you know. Let's go, Mets. Excited about the Mets and Thank the Nets you, and sure, the Knicks. Why not? Do we have any predictions as far as the Knicks and the Nets? Who's going to make it? Oh, far? boy. I always get further and farther. I think I was absent when we, we learned further and farther in school. Oh, Who's I Who's going to get yeah, farther? Um, in the in the playoffs, I think they're both going to lose in the first round. Unfortunately, I hate to be pessimistic. You know, the Nets are in the position they're in in part because they built up a good record when they had two you right. know Superstars. top players in the NBA, and now they don't have though. They have some you know solid teams still, but their chances in the first round against the Sixers are are fairly slim. I think yeah. the Knicks Cavs is going to be a lot of fun. I think a lot yeah. of fun, but. The Cavs have the best player on the court, Donovan Mitchell. So usually I, I go with, you know, whichever team has the best player in the series. And so I think, mm. I think that'll win out, but the Knicks, this Knicks team is so scrappy and Jalen Brunson's fun. I so mean, he's so great to watch. Now yeah. I feel like though for our Knicks fans out there who are listeners, it's like, this is, you know, we go through this, we go through this a lot, you know, we I, haven't I'm, been this far in a long time, but I'm just, I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm just going to go and enjoy the games. Yeah, I'm just going to go sorry. and enjoy the games and eat this like, you know, $80 <laughs> food. And just... I'm a Mets fan. That's really the only team I really rooted for growing up in Queens. So even though I liked, you know, the nineties, Knicks, eighties, nineties, Knicks growing up, um, as a Mets fan, you just, you know, you can't help but shed some of the pessimism, right. you know? Right. So I... Well, didn't I, Diaz, like, hurt his leg in celebrating? Like, what oh, is yeah. happening? Oh, no, the Mets are cursed. Yeah, We yeah. are, like, we are seriously cursed. Um, okay. Right. So, Gotham Gazette and FAQ, <laughs> if you need to reach us, we'll be at Mets games. And if we can score some <laughs> tickets, we'll be at Knicks Nets games. Um, ben Max from Gotham Gazette, I want to thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. FAQ. F-A-Q. 
This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're also an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our host today, this episode was me, Chrissy Greer. Harry Siegel is our executive producer and Adam Kamara is our engineer. I want to thank our special guest, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, enjoy this beautiful weather, and we'll be back next week for more. You know, I listen every week, and when you get to the thanks for for making it this far, I give myself a little pat on the back because I'm like, you know what? I heard that. I did, and I did I feel make that. it this far I, because I, I want to hear that. every word from you, Christina. I Greer. receive it. <laughs>